Coming up on the Mission Readiness Podcast. Being overweight or obese doesn't mean that you're you're well-nourished or overnourished. You can still be malnourished and obese. And I think that's the real sort of um, travesty of, of how, what our food system has sort of created. We've really focused on starchy staple crops, things that fill people up, but don't actually nourish them. You know, the, the, what I was hearing at the, the beginning of the pandemic in March and April is kind of different from what I'm hearing now. I think there's a real movement to, to make sure that we do not go back to the way things were, that we don't have the food system that was, that we create something new. Mission Readiness is the organization of retired admirals and generals working to prepare America's youth for success. Join us as we talk with respected leaders about the challenges facing our next generation. And now, retired U.S. Army Brigadier General Rich Gross and Mission Readiness National Director Ben Goodman. Well, welcome to the Mission Readiness Podcast. I'm your host, Rich Gross. With me, as always, our National Director of Mission Readiness, Ben Goodman. Ben, how are you? I'm great, General Gross. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Hey, let me ask you. I know you're familiar with think tanks. You you work and and live in the Washington D.C. area, but have you ever heard of a think tank for food? You know, think tanks are a dime a dozen, and I think especially when we talk about defense and foreign policy and everything else, there's one for just about every worldview. But um, I only learned pretty recently that Food Tank is the first ever think tank for food and food policy. Yeah, that's right. And we're going to talk to the one of the co-founders and the president of Food Tank. Danielle Nuremberg. She founded it along with Bernard Pollock uh, as a nonprofit, and she's going to talk to us about food systems and and the work they're doing to make sure that uh, the global food system is better. You know, it's incredible the work that Food Tank is doing around the world. And today, uh, we're going to hear a little bit about how some of the themes we're concerned about and that we've been talking about admission readiness um, look on the global scale. She's traveled to more than 70 different countries, and that perspective is is really uh, just going to be fascinating. No, and I can't wait to ask her about food insecurity, about hunger, obesity, the issues we care about, because I'm sure she's got some interesting uh, ideas about that. So without further ado... Let's get to our interview with Danielle Nirenberg of Food Tank. Well, my guest today on the Mission Readiness podcast is Danielle Nirenberg, who is the co-founder and president of Food Tank, which she's going to tell you all about, but it is essentially a think tank on food. And we're going to hear some amazing things about, about what Food Tank does, what Danielle does, and, and really how to make our food system better. But before we get into that, Danielle, would you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into the business of food? Sure. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much, Rich. Um, I grew up in a very small town called Defiance, Missouri, and my my parents were city people who moved to the country. You know, they wanted to raise their kids in the fresh air. Um, uh, you know, I grew up with a pony. I'm the only kid I know who had a pony. You know, we raised ducks and rabbits and had a big garden. And um, looking back on it, I kind of had this idyllic childhood. Um, but I grew up around farm kids, and I couldn't wait to get out of there. I, I thought farming was dumb. I didn't want to have any Anything to do with it. Um, I was an environmentalist and blamed farmers for, you know, everything from destroying the rainforest to, to, you know, climate change at that point in my life. And um, 
you know, uh, went to college and, and then became a Peace Corps volunteer and worked very closely with, with farmers and teachers and sort of had this, not, you know, epiphany, but kind of the slow realization that I was actually the dumb one and the farmers were doing all this amazing stuff to protect biodiversity and, you know, to nourish communities and do all of, all, all of the things that we want a good food system to do. So I really learned from the farmers uh, I met in, in the Dominican Republic and the extension workers and all of the others who were really trying to make the food system there more sustainable under very trying circumstances. So um, that's how I ended up going uh, to graduate school, uh, the Tufts Friedman School of Nutrition Science and Policy, got an MS in agriculture, food and environment, um, worked for many years at an environmental think tank, and then um, decided uh, with my co-founder Bernard Pollock to start Food Tank because we wanted to sort of tell different stories. We wanted to tell stories of hope and success in the food system from around the globe. When did you realize that the world needed a think tank for food? When did that realization come? I, I'm not sure. I, again, it was not an epiphany. It was just sort of, huh, what we're hearing is all of the bad stuff about our food and agriculture systems. And we're not hearing enough about the good stuff. The, the stories, uh, you know, from small and large farmers alike that are, are showing um, others, you know, uh, how they can be replicated or scaled out in different ways. And so it was just sort of while I was working at the, the other think tank that, I, you know, I wanted to change how we were telling stories. We were telling stories of doom and gloom, you know, the end of the world is coming. And I wanted to show folks uh, with Bernard how, you know, there, there are so many solutions out there if they just had a little bit more research, sorry, research or investment or attention behind them, then they could, you know, get the, the, the resources that they needed to be successful. Now, I think a lot of us discuss the global economy and we think about the economy as a group of interconnected systems. I don't know that people, enough people, frankly, think about food as an interconnected system and an interconnected economy. Would you talk a little bit about that? And would you tell us, have our policies kept up with the fact that we do have a changing food system? You know, it's interesting. I would have answered this question very differently a year and a couple of months ago, right? I think people do understand now how how uh, important our food systems are and how important they are to the global economy as a whole. And if there's a tiny disruption, a tiny little kink, whether it's, you know, uh, a pandemic or, you know, weather changes or, you know, a weather catastrophe that, you know, that can be disrupted in huge ways. We saw tankers sitting off the coast of many countries when the pandemic began, not able to deliver, you know, things like seafood or, or grain or, or other things. We saw supply chains, uh, supply chain disruptions all over the United States because there were, you know, restaurants were closing and schools were closing and there was nowhere for that, that food to go. So I think people really do understand the interconnectedness now of how our food systems are aligned with, you know, not just the economy, but our, our daily lives. It's not this huge sort of, well, the food system happens over here. The food system happens to me right now. We talk on our podcast a lot about obesity and hunger and how those two things actually go hand in hand. And of course, at Mission Readiness, we're concerned that these growing obesity rates in children really keeps them from making choices about their futures to include if they choose to go into the military to, to you know, so it affects national security. 
Not a lot of people though see that that link necessarily between obesity and hunger. They 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 don't get that there is a link. What what are you seeing around the world when it comes to the relationship between hunger and obesity, not only around the world but also in the United States? But before I answer that, I really want to commend the military for identifying that as a problem long before many of us who are sustainable food advocates or working in agriculture did. I think it was in the 1970s when, when the military was seeing, you know, uh, 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 people coming, trying to get into the military who didn't have, you know, 18 year olds who were too, you know, overweight or didn't have the the sort of physical stamina because of the foods that they were eating to, to make good, to make good soldiers. And so I, again, thank you for, for making those connections very early on. There is this huge paradox of hunger and obesity in the world. While at the same time, we have roughly 800 and 20 million people who are hungry right now. That number is rising because of COVID-19. At the same time, we have about 2.1 billion people who are overweight or obese. And sometimes those people are living in the same communities. Being overweight or obese doesn't mean that you're you're well-nourished or overnourished. You can still be malnourished and obese. And I think that's the real sort of um, travesty of, of how, what our food system has sort of created. We've really focused on starchy staple crops things that fill people up but don't actually nourish them. And, you know, that's everything from white rice uh, to, to maize. Um, and while these are, you know, we, we need these crops, we also need the fruits and vegetables and nutritious grains and, and, and nuts and seeds that will also make people healthy. And I think governments really need to start investing in, in those, those kinds of uh, what they've been called in the United States is specialty crops, unfortunately. Fruits and vegetables are specialty crops when they should make up the bulk of our diets. And you see governments in, in Sub-Saharan Africa and elsewhere have kind of done the same thing. They've invested in those starchy staples and not in the things that actually are going to make people healthy over the long run. Are there ways we could bridge better public understanding between hunger and obesity? Um. Again, I think this is something where the pandemic has, has made some headway I and mean, people really understanding the connections, not only between um, hunger and obesity, but our, how our health uh, is so aligned with what we eat. We've seen people who are overweight and obese suffer more from uh, mortality because of COVID-19. We've seen, um, I think people are understanding that underserved and, and uh, BIPOC communities often don't have uh, you know places to buy fresh produce or buy nutritious and healthy foods. And that has affected them. They are also suffering unprecedented rates of, of mortality because of COVID-19. So I think people are beginning to see that you know what we eat and how you know our our health outcomes have a real are, are very closely aligned in a way that we haven't seen before. Well, I was gratified to hear that the United Nations is going to convene a food system summit, which I think is an important effort. And as one of their sustainable development goals, they're going to talk about peace, justice, and strong institutions, and how that's related to food security. Beyond obesity, how do sustainable and equitable food systems affect our global security? I mean, they're so uh, inextricably linked. I mean, what we saw during the the uh, food and financial crisis in 2007 and 2008, and then again in 2009 and 2011, we saw food riots, more than 60 food riots break out across the world. And when people are hungry, they're angry. 
and 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 for good reason. I would be angry too. And I think you know this can lead to a lot of of global conflict and and you know things that you know we've seen um, terrorism linked to hunger when when terrorist um, agencies you know say, hey, I'm going to provide you with three full meals a day and pay you, of course people are going to, to you know, want to take that on. So I think if we can figure out how to make sure that people are, again, well-nourished, not just well-fed, but well-nourished and well-educated and, and provide those resources, whether we're talking about the United States of America or, you know, Tunisia, then we can, you know, strengthen our, uh, both our, our national security and our global security. Well, now, Danielle, you've traveled probably more than anybody we've had on the podcast, over 70 countries around the world that you personally traveled to, which is incredible. What have you seen that gives you hope? And are there emerging trends that you've seen that might surprise our listeners? Sure. I mean, I've had this incredible opportunity that, that not many people get to, to, to have. And my, my carbon footprint has a special place in hell. But other than that, I, I've been able to see really amazing things. I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of farmers and scientists and researchers and women's groups and youth leaders. And I, I think, you know, for me, one of the, the biggest things that stands out is that um, one of the groups that we've ignored in the food system for a long time is women farmers. Um, in, in many countries, women make up 80% of, of the, the agricultural labor force. Um, they make up about half, nearly half of, of all farmers worldwide, but they don't get the same kinds of resources that their male counterparts do. They don't get you know, education. They don't get uh, access to financial services. They get the, the, the poorest land, the land with the least nutrients. And so I, I think there's now we're beginning to recognize um, that that women are very important in the food system, not just as nutritional gatekeepers and, and cooking for their families, but really being the sources of of, of food and, and supporting local economies. And, and I think that's something I, I'm uh, very excited by this recognition that women are a huge part of the food system. Speaking of recognition, I understand that you were awarded the 2020 Julia Child Award, which is a, a phenomenal recognition of your work. Would you tell us a little bit about that award and, and what it stood for? Sure. Uh, there have been um, now six recipients of the Julia Child Award from the Julia Child Foundation, and it's really in recognition of her legacy. Um, the, the, the previous recipients have all been, you know, restaurateurs or chefs. I am the first person uh, not to, I, you know, I can cook okay, but I'm not a great, I'm not a great chef. And it, it, it really uh, is to identify folks who are changing the food system. But again, Food Tank is not just me. It was uh, co-founded by my uh, partner in crime, Bernard Pollock. And we really wanted to use uh, the, the platform we have as a way to amplify what other organizations and individuals around the globe are doing, whether they're working on food loss and food waste, preventing obesity, like we were talking about before, recognizing the importance of indigenous and native food waste. We really want to use Food Tank as a way to, to uh, get their, their messages out to a wider audience and make sure that they get the recognition and support that they need. Has the pandemic caused you to have to change the way Food Tank works and, and you're able to accomplish your missions? Absolutely. I mean, I think the, uh, the pandemic has changed uh, everything for everyone. The word of 2020 was pivot, right? And so we pivoted very quickly to online events. Food Tank is, is known for having a lot of summits in, in places like New York or on Capitol Hill or in San Francisco. And so we've had a lot of online events. Um, since the pandemic began last March, I've interviewed probably 
250 plus experts on how the pandemic is uh, impacting agriculture. Everyone from former uh, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Dan Glickman to uh, Maximo Torero, who's the chief economist at the United Nations, to women farmers in Kenya, and really just trying to collect their thoughts. And you know, the, the what I was hearing at the, the the beginning of the pandemic in March and April is kind of different from what I'm hearing now. I think there's a real movement to to make sure that we do not go back to the way things were. That we don't have the food system that was. That we create something new and. And you mentioned the UN Food System Summit uh, that's happening this year. There are all these dialogues, uh, both you know, at the national level and at the independent level, that are leading up to the the events that will happen in both June and and September. And I really hope that global leaders can can understand some of the things that we've been talking about. That you know, food security is national security. That you know, we we have to figure out a way to to educate our youth about eating well. Um, that you know, we have to create resilience and have a really robust food system because this is not the only global shock that is going to impact our food system in the coming years. We have a huge climate crisis that, you know, has, I think, been ignored for the last year because of the pandemic. And we're only going to see more challenges from that. So I, I think there's a lot of, of opportunity now with the with what the United Nations has, has put together to, to change people's minds about how the food system is run. No, that's great. Well, we ask we ask two questions of every guest uh, to kind of wrap up the podcast. The first one: What's one habit you've picked up during the pandemic uh, as you've isolated and stayed home, either personal or professional, that you intend to keep up once the pandemic is over? Yeah, but before the pandemic, I traveled about two hundred days per year. I barely saw my husband, um, and I never really saw my neighbors. And so I, uh, you know, done what your parents always tell you not to do. And I, I talk to strangers. You know, I, I, I'm wearing a mask, but I see people walking by, or I talk to our, our postal carrier, who's awesome. You know, just to have some interaction. So I hope that I can like maintain that level of of, of community after the pandemic. No, I think that's great. That's a great idea. Finally, what books have you been reading lately that you would recommend? Sure. So uh, I think the most important book uh, that came out last year is called Perilous Bounty by uh, Tom Philpot, who's a, a journalist at Mother Jones. And he writes, um, you know, very eloquently and sort of sadly about the state of the American food system, but he also offers a lot of hope. And so I think um, his book is, is something we should all be reading. Great. Well, Danielle, if, if people want to find out more about Food Tank, where do we find you on the web? Where do we find you on social media? So we can go to foodtank.com or at Food Tank on Instagram uh, or at Danny Nirenberg on Instagram and Twitter. All right. Thank you so much, Danielle, for being a guest uh, on the Mission Readiness Podcast. Appreciate the conversation. Such an honor to be here. Thank you, sir. Well, Ben, I thought that was a fascinating conversation, not only about the work Food Tank does, but about the global food system in general. You know, General Gross, what's so um, incredible to me is the impact that Food Tank has already had in just a few years. Uh, we shouldn't look past the fact that the Julia Child Award, uh, getting that you know so early on when chefs, uh, deserving chefs, but restaurant uh, folks in the restaurant business and, and others have received that award. Um, to, to see somebody who's trying to move the ball on food policy and uh, make how we feed people around the world 
address some of these systemic issues in the food system. Uh, to me, that's really exciting because it shows where we're going and it shows about the opportunities. Um, we talk a lot about the challenges in the food system and the problems that we have in the United States when it comes to obesity and food access. Um, but hopefully one of the things that comes out of this pandemic uh, is is a, a, a renewed uh, energy um, to, to really try and build a better food system uh, for the decades and generations to come. Well, and as she pointed out, the pandemic has, as hard as it's been on everybody, as tough as it's been, it, it does create an opportunity for, for all of us to rethink how we've been doing things, in particular with the food system, and see what we can do to change going forward to make a better food system for everybody. And I think both Food Tank and Mission Readiness would agree that's a worthwhile effort. And if folks are interested in learning more about Food Tank's work, as, as Danielle mentioned, foodtank.org is the website, but also would encourage folks to take a look at her 2015 TED Talk, Cultivating Equality in the Food System, which is uh, available online. Well, I hope everybody will join us on our next podcast. Uh, as always, we're available on all the platforms where you get your podcasts. We hope you'll subscribe and we'll see you again next week on the Mission Readiness Podcast.